Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five on the Floor podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Make sure to check out fivereasonsports.com. You can find all of our podcasts, including, of course, Five on the Floor, but also Five Rings Cane, Cinco Rizonas. New Balls cast is out right now, Light Skinned Opinions. And yes, three yards per carry, covering all the Tua stuff and all the stuff about the Dolphins draftees. Also, we've got our YouTube channel there and our merchandise, our heat shirts, our Tua shirts, our shirts making fun of the University of Miami, which some people don't like, um, and all of our five reasons and five on the floor gear is there. Not just shirts, too. We've got hats. We've got socks. We've got just about everything. And I can tell you that the shirts have been going out. I know things were delayed a little bit because of COVID and some people were upset. And I'm like, listen, just give it a little bit of time. They started to go out. I think 70 shirts went out in the last 24 hours. So everybody's going to have their shirts and you can certainly order more. I can tell you. Ethan, we'll get, yeah. so faster. What's that? So faster. You're not sewing the shirts fast enough. Oh, okay. Sell them faster. Okay. I'll get them. I will sew faster. You say sell faster. I will sew faster. Yeah, sew people faster. Think, people think I'm like doing this from my kitchen or something like yeah, that. You're, do, you're doing iron-ons in your, <laughs> in your living well, room. Well, the other part of that that's crazy, and then we'll, we'll get to our sponsor in our pod, is the other thing that's crazy is like people think like we're trying to cheat them out of the shirts, and I'm like, just go on social media, and you'll see everybody wearing them. Where are they getting them? Okay? They're, they're I mean, not real. Fake news. Fake news. Well, I hate to say it. It's a lot of those people. It's a hoax. Two people from Alabama who are all over me right now. Sorry, Joe Goodman. Uh, it's not him. All right. But anyway, uh, check out all of our shirts, all the rest of our stuff. And, yes, I will sew faster. But I want to tell you about one of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. But this is not a new business. This is a business that's been there for a long time. And I know because when I was covering the Dolphins, I used to eat there a couple times a week. And this is Mr. M's Sandwich Shop. You can find them in Davie, also in Hollywood. The one in Davie is right across from the Dolphins facility over at Nova Southeastern University, right on University Drive. We've got a great promotion for you. Online, of course, everybody's doing everything online now, right? So online, go to Mr. M's, M-R-M-S, subs.com, and use the discount code, 5R, that's Mr. M's subs.com. You this discount code 5R and you'll get 15% off your entire order. They've been serving South Florida since 1979. They've got Philly cheesesteaks, subs, wraps, and salads. It's great sandwiches. This is not Subway, okay? Go to Mr. M's sandwich shops. Nothing against Subway. This is not Subway. Everything you can bring guns that, in a Subway. I've seen it on TV. Yeah, don't bring a gun into Mr. M's sandwich <laughs> shop. Instead, go say hello to Paul and Jody and tell them that you heard the ad on the podcast, nothing about guns, and give them the code 5R. Everything there is made fresh to order. Again, cheesesteaks, subs, wraps, salads, and more. And I'm going to be stopping by Davey tomorrow, so I think I might do that on my way through. And now? Or the number? 5R, the number, 5R. The number 5 and R. Just want to make sure I was pulling an Alejandro. Yeah, thank you very much. I always have to do that. Now today's episode. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alphonse Sydney, a.k.a. ALF954, brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. 
All right, Ethan Skolnick back with Alphonse City. No Alex Toledo tonight. We're letting him sleep. Um, make sure you check out the Keith Askins episode. We did an hour with Keith. Um, I felt like we could have done three hours. I, you know, the Heat's great with us, and they said, who, you know, how much time do you need? 20 minutes, okay. 20 minutes is fine. Uh, that was basically one Keith Askins answer. So we, we did an hour with Keith, and he was terrific, and there's lots of stuff in there about the first, time, first Riley practice, about the time that Riley cut him, which is a great, great story, about Bimbo Coles and him basically eating for their entire first year together because Glenn Rice and Kevin Edwards and some of these stars of the team would get Benny Hanna gift, gift cards or gift certificates. At the time, they were gift certificates, and so they'd get it for two, so <laughs> they'd drop them with Keith and Bimbo so they could eat. Uh, there's lots of good stuff on there about Keith Askins kind of being one of the original heat lifers and then his views of coaching LeBron, guarding Jordan. So lots of great stuff in there. And obviously Keith is now with the scouting staff. He's been with the heat for 30 years. And basically his quote was, I would still run through a wall for Pat. Just tell me where the crack in the wall is and let me go. And so that's, that's pretty much what he's about. So check out that episode. But today Alf and I are going to focus on something more current. You know, every time that there's any kind of news, we're going to do a podcast because there's not that much news, Alf. Uh, but there is Even some... if there's not news, we're going to do a podcast. Well, we've been doing them anyway, but at least we don't have to go through that horrible ESPN list yet. That, that's on the docket, but we, we put that off for a day because what a, what a tease what a tease for that episode by the way well it's a horrible list we're going to go through it and we're going to question why wade is behind certain people he's behind and some of the other decisions that were made there but there's actual news today so today wednesday as we record this was the first day that heat players were allowed back in the facility and they were all back except for three and the three that were not back or 12 were back 12 out of 17 uh according to espn i think barry jackson had a report first that most of the team was there uh, but the guys that were not there that we know of were Jimmy Butler, Solomon Hill, Andre Iguodala, because all are in California. Um, and obviously travel is an issue right now. But at least 12 other guys were there. I know Udonis Haslam was there, even though he was also out sort of delivering meals to people. Good for you, D, uh, today. But they're back. And so a few, th- a few developments here. Them being back in the facility, the state of Florida basically deciding we're going to open everything up to coronavirus. Uh, come play all your sporting events here. That came out today. Uh, then LeBron James leading a group of stars, including Russell Westbrook and Steph Curry and others. Steph doesn't have any reason for the season to continue, but all of these stars came together. Kawhi Leonard, who I, I, I'm sure just said, I'm a fun guy the whole time. Uh, like eight or nine players on this conference call, this megastar call, basically talking about wanting to be back. Chris Haynes reported that first. So all of these things are coming together at the same time as there was another report by Woj that Adam Silver on this call with the Board of Governors basically said that the drop-dead date is, uh, is Labor Day to start the season, which is a long time from now, and that a decision would be made probably in the next two to four weeks. It's a lot of information. Put it together. You think we're going to see a season? I, I two like two uh, episodes ago, I said uh, yes because of the the um, the idea of doing it at Disney Wide World of Sports, and then some of the some of the scoops you had from agents last episode. We talked about this. I said no. Yep. The fact that LeBron is leading the charge tells me now that yes, I think there's. I mean, I would put it more like seventy five percent. There's going to be a season, and the reason I'm saying this is because it looks like the players are willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, they're willing to uh, be somewhat sequestered because that's what's going to have to happen, right? 
they're all going to have to, if they do it at Disney, which we've talked about makes so much sense, they're willing to be sequestered. They're willing to be away from their families. They're willing to uh, undergo constant testing. They're willing to even have the risk of a couple players get sick and continue. And that was, I think that was the yeah. thing that um, I found the most interesting. Also, because I said it before Woj did. <laughs> that, <laughs> he won't that, credit you. I can guarantee you that. Oh, no, I won't get any credit. But I said I, we, I said it on a few few episodes ago that they're going to have to be okay with people getting sick and continuing to play because you can't initiate this thing and get the ball rolling and then want you know a, a Rudy Gobert gets sick and then shut everything down again. You if you've made the investment and you're going to do this, you're going to do it. And if you know uh, some somebody gets COVID, they they get quarantined and you just got to keep on rolling. And that's that's going to be the toughest thing to accept. But it looks like they're ready to accept that fact. And I mean, that's interesting. And I mean, that's where we are right now. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, that, that's the key thing. Are you going to plow through this? And I think a couple of the other points that you made are relevant when we talk about other sports, I, I feel like the other sport, the sports are kind of feeling each other out to decide who's going to jump in here. So the NFL has basically been all systems go like they, they don't care. Like, I mean, they've never cared about their players anyway. So, so it's, it's just kind of like, we're going to start our damn season. Screw the rest of you. Uh, you know, we'll figure out how to make this happen. Roger Goodell is not going to put his players first under any circumstances, and they're going to find some way to play. Now, Major League Baseball, on the other hand, uh, the players have always had the most say in Major League Baseball, right? The, the, it has always been the strongest union in sports. Um, I'm a union guy, but sometimes it's been to the detriment of progress. And I saw, uh, although Mark Teixeira came out and said something, a former player, former Yankee, former Ranger, uh, came out and basically said something that was sort of anti-player. Most of the players seem to be sticking by this idea that they're not going to take less <laughs> to play. And so in Major League Baseball, the union seems to be standing against this where it doesn't look like a compromise is coming anytime soon. I do think that the NBA is somewhere in the middle. I think that the NBA players have never been as strong as the baseball union, but they're not as weak as the football union. And so I think that the, the ba basketball players provided that leadership. And one of the interesting things that's happened with the union in the past few years is the union, the top of the union leadership from the players always used to be sort of role guys. Okay. Well, that changed like five, six years ago, where all of a sudden you had Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James kind of take over the union. Remember that? Yeah. And, and, and so that has changed. It, it was always like the James Joneses of the world, right? And then now all of a sudden it's LeBron and Chris Paul. And when you have the stars, I haven't always felt that the stars have had the role players' best interests at heart. But when the stars are the ones at the top of that and they're making the decisions, like you said, with LeBron being involved, it has more impact. And well, I think and that's where we are. In a salary cap sport with revenue sharing, it's not it, – see, baseball, they're, they're, you know, there's no salary cap. There's, there's no – you know, there's, they're not worried about TV revenue affecting the salary cap two, three years down the line. The, the players have an interest, have a stake in uh, TV revenue from this year's regular season and playoffs. And I think that's the biggest difference between major league and the NBA, and like you said, the NFL, it doesn't matter what the owners say goes. Right. But in the NBA, these guys are worried if they lose a, a, a playoffs worth of revenue, they know what's going to happen yes. to the salary cap. And so all these guys with deals coming up in the next two, three years are thinking about this. 
and they're thinking about it for themselves and they're thinking about it for everybody else because the max players are still going to be okay. But what, mm-hmm. what becomes the vet minimum? What becomes a, the, the rookie minimum? What becomes of, of the mid-level exception, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're looking at it holistically and saying, if we do not play the, if we don't play the playoffs, if we don't finish out this regular season, we lose this revenue. Uh, revenue goes down. Everybody's salary goes down. I mean, a guy like Jimmy Butler who signed for the next four years, he's fine. But you know, like we we talked about before, uh, Danilo Gallinari, right. uh, he's probably shitting his pants right now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the guys who who are going to be up this offseason, it was already going to be a challenging offseason for them because not that many teams have money. And so the th- China thing. And the China thing. So you added those two things together. There were very few teams with money. This is why, you know, it didn't take much for the Heat to get into the fourth position in terms of available money, fourth in the entire league. I mean, that, those transactions, the deadline did it because it's basically like Atlanta, New York, uh, you know, Charlotte. There's a couple others, but there's not a lot of teams with cash coming up this offseason. And so there were not a lot of attractive options and not a lot of lucrative options for players that were going to be free agents. Okay, now there's going to be even less. And, you know, some of these players, you mentioned Gallinari. I mean, I, to me, Anthony Davis, I think he just re-signs. But th- there's, there's not a lot in this, in, this, uh, in this class. But I do think if, even if you look at the Heat guys, like, you know, Jay Crowder, Derek Jones Jr., uh, Goran Dragic, Myers Leonard, I mean, this presents some questions for them on, on what direction they're going to go in. And so I'm with you that, if you're looking at a potential 30% cut to, to revenue or to the, you know, the BRI basically that's being split between the, the players and the owners, I mean, that is significant chunk of change. I mean, you're talking about contracts, like you talk about a mid-level exception that was nine and a half, you know, it was all of a sudden six and a half or seven. You're going back to levels from what, seven, eight, nine years ago, right? Yep, so, yep. so, so it's, it's going to be different. So yeah, of course they want to play. I also think there's a legacy play it here for some of them. I mean, for LeBron, there certainly is. If you think you have a chance to win a championship, but I will say this, if these players push to come back, okay, then there can't be complaints later. You know what I'm saying? Like, it can't be like, we're pushing to come back, uh, but this wasn't a real season. There's yeah. an asterisk. You know, take no. And now, so there's, here's a couple of interesting things I wanted to get your take on. And these are things I've been thinking about. First thing is, what does a guy like Cat think about this? Who lost? I believe he lost his mother. Yes. To to COVID. Like, does is this something where if, if he decides, guys, I'm not messing with this thing. It's struck really close to home, and he can he voluntarily step. Well, out? it may not. It may not matter for him. I, although he's a good example, it may not matter for him because I I think the polling came out too that some of these teams uh, that are not in the playoffs and Minnesota is not in the playoffs, you know, don't want to play. And that's going to be another thing to navigate here because I've always felt it made more sense to go straight to the playoffs, but there is that TV rule about getting to 70 games and these teams are not at 70 games yet. So, I mean, they're at 64 to 67. So how do you do that? You just do a tune up between the playoff teams to get those teams to 70. I'm not really sure how that's going to work or how much leeway they're going to get from their TV partners or, or all the rest of that. But you're right. I mean, you could opt to The other thing we don't know, Alf, we don't know how many players tested positive because the NBA was giving those numbers out, but then I was on that call with Adam Silver about two weeks ago, and he said for flat out, he says, you know, we're not providing that information anymore because the you know, teams are not, they're not being tested at the facilities, and so that they're, then the privacy regulations do come into play. I've always felt they should have come into play, but now they certainly do. So we don't know how many players tested positive. I don't know how many players have had a brush with this thing, right? 
I don't know how many players' families have had a brush with this thing. Well, that actually leads into my second question, right? So if, let's say, way more players than we thought have gotten it and have beaten it, do you think there's something to be said for the fact that these players are 20, 30-somethings in peak physical condition? That's And basically with the with, – with what we hear about COVID and kind of mm-hmm. the narrative around it that if you're young and healthy, it doesn't – you know, really doesn't affect you. Do you think that plays into their decision? Yes, yes, but, yes but the problem with it – and Silver mentioned this on his – during his interview with Rachel Nichols way back – is that because they're healthy – and young, they're what's called super spreaders because they are what they they can they can have it and not show any symptoms. Be completely and asymptomatic. They say, and so in a sense, they become more dangerous to the rest now, of the population, to others now, who are around them. But even if you're sequestered, I mean, how many coaches and assistant coaches are over the age of seventy? A lot. Right? I mean, um, I mean, does Pat Riley go around the heat? He's seventy-five. No, he, I mean, a guy like Pop needs to make a decision what he wants to do. And, right. you know, Pop is probably going to go out there, and it, but it's not safe. Um, yeah, I mean, how, many, it, co- how many coaches in the league are over 60? What do we think? I Most mean, of it's them, gotta right? be. It's got to be 70% of the coaches. Have to is be Rick Carlisle over 60 at this point? I believe probably. so. I mean, he, played in the, he was playing in the 80s. I mean, there are more down. young coaches than there used to be. I mean, the George Carls are gone, right? Um, Dan Tony's probably – Dan Tony's in his 60s. Definitely in his 60s. Uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Billy Donovan I don't think is there yet. He doesn't look it. Oh, was 37. No, well, I suppose turning 50 this year. <laughs> oh, he looks, he looks 37. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you've got some guys who are younger. Quinn Snyder is younger. Still, I think. I think uh, obviously Brad Stevens' genius is younger. Uh, Nate McMillan's probably in his late fifties now. I mean, there's more guys that are, I guess, getting up there towards sixty. And Not uh, but what about assistant coaches? You, and well, a lot-, a lot of the assistants are older because a lot of the assistants are guys who were head coaches, uh, or they're just the brain trust in the bench. I mean, the Heat don't have any old guys on the bench anymore. I mean, no offense, Ronnie and Mac, you know, not there anymore. Uh, but they, so they don't have any guys of that, you know, of that age. But most guys, I'm trying to think of other people in the Heat organization. I mean, Pat is the patriarch now. I mean, other than McAdoo and yeah, I, I don't, I can't think of anybody else who would be of a of that age. But yeah, I mean, I, look, anybody over 60 is is more inclined to it. But we've seen many, plenty of cases of people in their 40s. Look, I'm 47. I just saw – I was reading stories about three deaths in their late 40s this week. I mean, it's not – I mean, no one's immune to it except it seems to be children for the most part, although even children are developing – I mean, I got something from my daughter's school. Like, children are developing this disease. Like toxic shock, basically. Yeah, that is similar in some ways, right, to uh, – It's to, not COVID, COVID is causing something else. Right, right. So it's leading to something else, and so there's – I forgot the name of it, but it, it's uh, – and I should know the name of it, but it, yeah, that's a concern too. So I think when you look at all this, you know, you have a situation where it's dangerous, but obviously Adam Silver is going to consult his players. They are going to have more pull than in the NFL. I think what's interesting about the NFL, not that I want to spend a lot of time on it, but I think what's interesting about the NFL is that there are so many players, so many coaches, so many staffers. I mean, it's like four or five times what you have an NBA team. Yeah, it's a little traveling city half the time. How many of those people are going to opt out? And how, how much does that matter? Like, are you, are you really going to get all 53 to agree to I mean, to there's play? no way. I mean, but they'll get scabs. I mean... 
But Listen, will some, they? I, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, some of those idiots out there with rifles will go play. You know, uh, no, no, be long snapper. They, they don't want to get hit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just that's that's for show, man. But 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 look, but look. I, I mean, I I just think that you've you're gonna have with all these sports. You're gonna have people opting out now. Baseball is not because of uh, you know, it's not as big as it's probably half the size of the NFL, probably less. But in terms of numbers. But again, the strongest union. So all of these things come. And we haven't even talked about hockey, which, you know, hockey was kind of like they're always like a week or two ahead of the NBA. They were getting close to their playoffs. And hockey, like here's the problem with hockey as opposed to basketball. Hockey's money is all made on the gate. Like basketball is made on the TV. NFL is all made on the TV, right? That's all about TV. Hockey is made on the 15,000 people who go in every city. Yeah. Their, their TV contract is minuscule. It's a rounding error for the NFL, okay, <laughs> and even for the NBA. It, they need people to be in the seats. I don't know how the NHL – and I'm a hockey guy. I don't know how the NHL survives, honestly. I don't, I don't see it. In a place like this, in a place like South Florida, where the Panthers are disappointed for, what, 20 – what are we going on? I mean, on? they'll probably get more ratings than they ever had because it'll be sports, but – I, well, not if they, not if the NBA is playing though, they'll get dwarfed again. But nobody's yeah. going. Nobody's going, and and even the TV revenue for the NHL is, like I said, so small, it's not sustainable for them. Like that's a real problem for them. And you know, we talk NBA here, but you know, I mean, this is about all the South Florida sports teams. I don't feel like the baseball thing has even gotten much attention at all. Like it's just what is it, assume this season's over. I mean, we're already into May. I mean, we'd be getting, I mean, teams would have played 30, 35, 40 games already. And nobody so, cares. Not down you know, here. At least. Nobody, cares. nobody cares down here. I think in places, you know, Boston, St. Louis, New York. Yes, they care. But um, you know, a, a lot of these cities and that's baseball's fault for allowing itself to get past. But I, I think I am, again, I go day to day on this. All right. The conversations I had with agents, mostly agents, about a week, week and a half ago, were very negative, very negative, all right? Now, part of that has to be tempered with the fact that agents have to prepare their players for the worst. So maybe there's a little bit more negativity than there should be. But it has seemed all along like Adam Silver sees this as more than a money-making or even a sporting exercise. He sees this, the way Adam Silver looks at the world, and probably I like him because I'm politically aligned with him, but... The way he sees the world is he wants to make it better in some way. Like, that's the way I, I view Adam Silver as one of the good guys. I, I just, I, the way he approaches things, the way he deals with his players, the way he protects his players. And I just, I've gotten this sense, and he's even said it. He, the NBA kind of led us into this in some ways by shutting down because of Corona. And he wants to be the league that leads us out. And so, Respon and, but he wants to do it responsibly. Responsibly, but the other thing, Alf, is he's also shown he will be the most creative. He's not tied to tradition like baseball. He will be the most creative in terms of you know coming up with something that just entertains. And but if that's going to happen, then the players and the fans have to say, okay, no asterisk, because it's going to look totally different. It is not. There's no chance in hell that it's going to look like it looked before. I mean, well, you know, and so we just got to accept that. I mean, look at the way the world has changed. I've done – all I do all day are Zoom conferences and mm -hmm. conference calls and video chats, and I'm actually having, like, a, a large corporate uh, line review tomorrow uh, <laughs> over right. video chat, which is insane. Um, you know, these things are – you know, generally my company will fly me all over the country – 
literally for a 15 to 20 minute meeting with a large retail chain. Mm -hmm. And that's three nights. That's two nights in a hotel, three days out of the office. You know, by the time I'm done, I spent a thousand dollars. Like, but now I'm doing on a video chat, you know, with a button up shirt and my underwear on. (laughs) But so if we're worried about coaching staffs, Mm-hmm. Do they have to be on the bench? I don't know. I think a lot of those things are going to be done differently. Maybe they can I mean, be in a back room on an iPod, watching on a closed circuit television or on on their devices and sending in a sky, in a, play in calls a sky bo- in, in a, a skybox sky in the arena, sending I, down play calls. Guys put on headsets now on the sideline. I mean, I mean are I, you going to are the players going to social distance from each other where everybody takes their own row instead of sitting on a bench on the side? I mean, <laughs> well, that's that's by the time you go in and start bumping against somebody else, it's, there's no it, social it, distancing. It, exactly, it, but it's it's a weird deal. It's going to look weird. Um, like I said, the the format is going to be weird. The other thing that's going to be weird is like every team is going to come back in a different state physically. They just are like. You know that you know. I assume that the Heat players have kept themselves in shape. I've, as I've said many times on the podcast, the Heat have been very diligent about trying to do that. I believe most teams probably will be. Some teams are not; don't have the infrastructure to do it or the intelligence to do it. I believe the Heat will do it. Um, we're going to sort of see the strength of organizations and the the strength of quote unquote culture during this. But everybody's got different concerns, and some families are dealing with different things that we don't know about. Um, you know, just go back to last season. I don't want to get into the details of it, but. You know, we're going to bring on our guests here in a second. But when Jimmy Butler was going through something for two, three weeks this season, right? Everybody wanted to know what it was. I know what it was. Okay. I think a lot of us kind of knew who it was about and, you know, just sort of learned over time what it was. But that was affecting Jimmy. Okay. How many of these players are going to come back with uh, who've had a family member affected by this? We just don't know about right now. You know, are there, they're going to be mentally into it. Have they going to be checked out? If you're playing for a team, you don't think you're going to be back with next year anyway. I, there's all kinds of things that go into this, okay? It could be as simple as a lot of Heat players are young and they live in condos, and so they didn't have courts, okay, or anything like that to play in. The gyms are not open. The facility wasn't open until now. Did they allow themselves to get out of shape in the last six weeks? I don't want to hear about Tyler Hero's hair. I don't care about that. But I'm just saying generally, like, did they get out of it? And maybe other teams that are more veteran teams that are living in, you know, five bedroom houses, you know, in the suburbs, maybe they had the room to roam and play. Maybe some of the, you know, some, maybe it was easier for some of the young guys who don't have kids running around. Okay. To be able to focus on their training. We, we, we don't know. I mean, all of these things come into it that are sort of peripheral concerns, but right now they're primary concerns. And so this is not going to look right. And I just hope the fans and everybody else is patient with it. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, bowl season in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where unless you're unless you're the top four, uh, do you really? You know, a lot of guys opt out because it's just not wor- worth it for them in the long term. It's right their long term interest. So, like you said, if the 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 teams that aren't in the playoffs right now, I what's the incentive of going out there and playing? So if you're if you're only doing if you're only doing playoffs, let's say you're an eighth seed. And yep. you're like, like you said, you're a guy that's not going to play on, on that team that, anymore next year. Do you care about showing up? Well, it, it, it's going to how it's going to look to other teams. I do think a lot of pending free agents are not going to want to look like they quit on their team in this situation. Yeah. So that puts some pressure on them. But you're right. But the other thing is there are eight seeds that probably will beat one seeds because, again, because, uh, because the, guys have come back from injury. There's so much variable involved here. This is not you just don't know. I don't I, I don't know that all the Milwaukee Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks have an old team around Giannis. I mean, Kyle Korver, Brooke Lopez, George Hill, Ursan Ilyasova. 
it's an older team. Now, Kyle Korver also is one of the most dedicated guys I've ever interviewed, okay? And he probably kept himself in incredible shape. But also, the bones ache a little bit more when you're older and you got two months. It takes you longer to get back into condition. You know, young guys get back into condition in the first week, okay? Older guys, it takes a longer amount of time. How is this going to affect the Bucks? right? The Lakers have some older players on that team. Rondo, okay? And, I mean, and LeBron, for that matter. Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard. How's that going to work? So, we don't know. I, I, there's so many factors involved. I mean, look, I hope it happens because I want to see basketball. I also think it's going to be fascinating. I think we're going to have an incredible podcast because it's just watching it, all the variables that are going into it and seeing and the uncertainty and the differences from what way it used to be. It's going to be fantastic. But, again, I I'm not counting on it until uh, we start to see movement and testing. I, I think that's what the NBA is waiting on. I don't think it's about a vaccine. I think it's about testing. They can say that they'll plow through with one or two guys getting it, but if there isn't real good testing at that point, I just think that the ramifications are really dangerous for the league, and that becomes problematic. So By the time one guy, one guy gets it, every he was playing for a week anyway. So. It, it's it, Yeah, well, that, that's, that's the other thing. All right, so we're going to get to our guest here in a second. Before we do, I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network. That's the Seltzer Mayberg Law Firm. You can find them at onecalllegal.com. That's onecalllegal.com, 24 hours a day. Someone will answer you, yes, even during the pandemic. you got a question about immigration, traffic tickets, um, personal injury, just about anything at all. They handle all kinds of different law. They are based in North Miami. Of course, right now you can't just walk into the office. I wish I could because we share an office with them. But no, you can reach out to them at onecalllegal.com. Again, that's O-N-E, calllegal.com. And now we're going to bring on our guest. All right, back on the Five on the Floor podcast. We've been telling you about some of our sponsors. One of the things we want to do is bring the sponsors on the podcast because they are local. Uh, we're not just a radio station just taking ads, advertising from everywhere. We want to engage with people down here in South Florida. I've been telling you about the Lessons Via Leaders podcast, and I want to introduce one of the hosts of that podcast. And actually, I think I have a topic that's going to work for us. Will, tell us about yourself. Tell us about Lessons Via Leaders. Yeah, hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So uh, Lessons Via Leaders, we are a weekly podcast. We have on local entrepreneurs, founders of companies, thought leaders, many of them local here in the Miami community because our studio's here and we bring in a lot of guests, uh, but here as the, uh, as the coronavirus and the pandemic. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. 
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pandemic has hit. We'll bring in some national guests here via Zoom shortly. Uh, but we have stayed, I think, initially mainly uh, South Florida focused and just try to bring in some of the top entrepreneurs, uh, politicians, thought leaders, founders, and things like that. And just we bring them on, you know, they share their story and their background and then some of the lessons that they learned over the years, like what got them to this place? How did they start companies? How did they get in the position they are now? What are some of the biggest mistakes they've made over their careers and their lives? And uh, just sharing those lessons and those perspectives. So that's what the, uh, the main theme of the podcast is. And again, that can be found everywhere you find this podcast. So Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, all those places for you Android people, which I know Alf is one of those Android people. Which <laughs> You're is, a green uh, bubble guy, Alf? Oh, for green sure. bubble. I don't, I don't even understand what a green bubble means because I don't have an iPhone, but whatever, I'll take it. <laughs> it, it, it means you're stuck, stuck in prehistoric times. It means, that I don't, it, it means a couple of things. One, I don't know when you're texting me. So it's like when you're running. That is a good thing, by the way. No, no, but it's like like when you're. No, but when you're on an iPhone, like you can tell the person is still communicating with you. Yep. On that, it's like a conversation just ends. Okay, but the other problem with with Android is, and we got into this on Five Reasons to Drink. I love the audio message. Yeah. The audio message is one way communication. I don't have to deal with anybody. I send it. I get my thoughts out. I move on with my day. You also don't. It's also safer if you're like getting in a car. Not that I'm For doing sure. either. Uh, and I like the audio message. You cannot send an audio message to an Android person unless you right. go literally to the voice notes. And then Ethan, there's absolutely nothing you're saying right now that's convincing me to get an iPhone. <laughs> you are making the case for me to stay with Android. No, Thank Android. It, it is. It is. I, I know you get slightly better pictures, but no, no. It's. it's you got to switch to an iPhone. All right. So it let's was, get. Go ahead. No, it's actually a genius product decision made by Apple. So, so Alf, just so so you don't know what we're talking about, just for context, when an I'm when a iPhone user messages another iPhone user, the bubbles are blue. It's actually a very yes. nice, calming shade of blue. It However, is. when we message android users the bubbles are this really violent and aggressive shade of green mm-hmm. uh and uh it's become like a like a slang thing or are you blue bubble or you green bubble and then like uh in some circles you know if you're a green bubble people just don't text you back because it's just not worth the hassle you know <laughs> I, so, i'm uh, with you i think we should ostracize these people <laughs> i i think they you should be are- quarantined it's like a commercial for Android for me right now. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Well, the only time. Well, then there's the other problem. Will I don't want to get too in depth with this, sure. but, but but basically, uh, there's also the problem if you're if you're texting an iPhone person and suddenly it turns from blue to green. Yeah, they probably don't want to talk to you anymore. That's true. Uh, because that 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 means you either been blocked or 
as is the case with someone I communicate with, they didn't pay their phone bill. Mm. And so, uh, so, so you get the green. So then you, you don't know if you've been blocked or they didn't pay the phone bill. And that creates all kinds of other problems. But anyway, I'm not going to get too deep. This iPhone thing sounds very intrusive. No, it's <laughs> not intrusive. It's, it's just, it's most, most humans. Like you, know what I'm, you know what I'm looking at your messages. You know what I'm writing back. Well, you could do read receipts on yeah. the, well, we've talked about that too. You could do read receipts on the iPhone also. So it's like, okay, that way you know if somebody's answered you or if somebody's seen you or not. So you don't send another message just to get them to answer that's and ethan as, so, as someone that's communicated and texted with a lot of nba players wouldn't you say the majority of players are using iphones yes they're all on iphones right the one person who was not on an iphone was lebron really uh, and, and, well because oh, right, well, he, he had the samsung he, deal he had the samsung deal but remember this was a great story because lebron always had this habit of trashing his sponsors so, you know, he would he he bitched about the about the Nike about the LeBron 11s. He didn't want to mm-hmm. wear them. He said I was at a shoot around where he basically talked about how he was eating better. He cut out the McDonald's and this was when he was the lead endorser for McDonald's. Right. And there's another one I'm forgetting, but the Kia. Sam Oh, Kia also. Well, Kia yeah. he actually drove or fake drove. Right. But 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 <laughs> Sam, the Samsung one he was pissed before a game and told us because all of his photos got deleted. All of his context mm. got deleted and he complained about it and we wrote about it. And of course he was using a Samsung phone and then he had to tweet out his love for Samsung afterwards, I believe. So yes, th- there were a bunch of these circumstances with him and his sponsors where he took shots of them and had to back up on it. All right. So let's get to our topic today. Yep. Uh, the last dance is Alf. What number are you up to right now? Have you gotten through eight? No, I think I think I stopped at six. But you but you caught the Phil episode because the Phil episode was yes, I, I, I caught six. the Phil. Yeah, I caught the Phil episode. Okay, all right. So basically, one of the things I want to get into because I just did this episode with Keith Askins about Pat Riley, and what's fascinating to me about you know Don Shula just passing away too plays into this also because Don had a certain style. What's interesting to me about the NBA is if you talk about the greatest coaches in NBA history. You're not going to get to five uh, before you've gotten to Phil Jackson and Pat Riley. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just is what it is. Okay, we can throw, you know, Phil, we could throw obviously Greg Popovich in there, yep. who has a very particular style. Uh, I think others, you know, maybe Rudy Tomjanovich had his day. There, there, there have been others who've been on the list. There's younger guys now. I suppose in that category, I think uh, who who may belong up there someday. Red Auerbach, obviously from olden times. Uh, there's, you know, so there's, there's some coaches that belong kind of in that category. What's always fascinated me about Phil and Pat, other than the fact that they've never really liked each other that much, uh, is that they are two complete polar opposites, but both kind of had the same success with the same kind of teams Mm -hmm. that both of them had to manage huge personalities, whether it was Riley coming in after Westhead, basically coming out of the broadcast booth, to coach Kareem and Magic Johnson, two of the 10 greatest players of all time, uh, along with Worthy and all the rest of this, then Patrick Ewing, then Alonzo Mourning, um, you know, then Shaquille O'Neal, then Dwayne Wade. I mean, yep. you know, I mean, that's, I mean, those are six of the top 50, right, in NBA history probably. Uh, and so he's coached all of them. And then to have Phil, Shaq, Kobe, Primes, uh, Jordan, Pippen, obviously, uh, obviously, New York didn't work out so well, but to coach those those players. And I wanted to get to this with you, Will, on people you've interviewed. How do you sort of assess their leadership styles 
And how is it possible that two people so diametrically opposed to each other could both have that kind of success? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a great question and it's fascinating to analyze, especially now with The Last Dance. It's such a timely topic to get into and it really gives us insight into Phil Jackson uh, that we've never seen before. Uh, and for me, uh, you know, longtime Heat fan, pretty much a Heat fan my entire life, uh, you know, just ab- absolutely huge respect for Pat Riley and everything he's accomplished. And Phil was a guy that, uh, you know, was, was the enemy in the Chicago Bulls days. And, you know, those were teams that the Heat can never get past, even though we, you know, had some great seasons. So just learning about Phil Jackson has been absolutely fascinating. And, you know, we know that his nickname is the Zen master, right? He was all about poise. He was calm, cool, collected. Uh, it's pretty well known uh, now as featured in the last dance that he had his teams meditate during practice. So he was all about quieting the mind, finding a state of relaxation amongst the chaos. Um, and he was also a proponent of letting players figure it out on their own. Uh, this has now been highlighted in the last dance by how he let Dennis Rodman go out for a bender in Las Vegas in the middle of the season, you know, <laughs> yeah. to blow off some steam. You know that Riley would never. <laughs> oh, no, Riley, there's, right? there's no, there, Will, I'll just interrupt you real quick. I'll let yeah. you continue. There's no chance. I mean, I, again, 2013 Heat team that I believe had won 27 straight to that. Maybe it wasn't quite yet. Yep. But a Heat team that won a championship the year before. Riley is in the locker room in Los Angeles because he always made the trip out because of the Malibu trip. And Ray Allen, Mario Chalmers, and LeBron James are cursing under their breath, okay? And Ray shot me a look and said, get the hell away from us because they were so pissed off because Pat had nixed a Vegas trip. Hmm. So, no, this and that yeah. was a one day. This wasn't a 48-hour bender. This was a one day. So, yes, you're correct about that. Yeah, Riley would never sign off on something like that. But but here here's kind of where they're similar. Uh, they both really knew how to manage egos, and I think that that was key to both of their successes. Like, um, you know, Phil Jackson had the whole Zen mentality, and that really helped with that. And there was a number of different ways that you manage egos. You know, you have to make something bigger than them. And Riley instilled this culture thing, right? This heat culture. This is like a branding thing that Riley instilled. You know, Phil Jackson had his own thing with the whole Buddhist philosophies and, and being Zen and meditation and all that. That was his culture. Riley, you know, went about the heat culture and did a lot of branding around that, that no one person is bigger than the team. And he made that part of the DNA of the franchise. And that, that's why I think that whole culture branding is so brilliant because again, it is something bigger than yourself that even like the biggest egos uh, can buy into. So, um, you know, I think that's absolutely fascinating. And it, again, it, if you look at for similarities in between the two of them, they both found a way to calm down egos. Phil Jackson having to deal with Michael Jordan, as you could see in the documentary, I mean, rightfully so, he had a huge ego. He was the best on the planet, the best that ever did it. And he had to find a way to, uh, to keep that at bay. Riley had his own uh, personalities. Riley dealt with ton of egos from the Showtime Lakers days uh, to his days with the Knicks and then in the Miami Heat, you know, those 90s teams that had a lot of different personalities that he had to get in line. So I think if you're looking for similarities between the two, uh, you know, they, they found ways to make it, uh, you know, bigger than each individual player. Um, and, and I think that that's the overarching theme when you look for, for things that tie them together. Uh, one thing about both of these guys, they both have their lifers. I mean, yeah. I think there's Pat Riley probably has more guys that are still loyal to him. Keith Askins on today's podcast said he'd still run through a wall for Riley. Yep. Uh, you have Udonis Haslam, who, I mean, 
Uh, I mean, would probably fight someone in an alley for, for Pat Riley right now. Mm-hmm. But they both have had a way of grading on guys. Yeah. Is there, and they, even with the two different leadership styles, is with, with any kind of leadership, is there at some point diminishing returns, especially with strong um, ego-driven leadership, where at, at just some point you're just, you're just going to wear people down? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, you know, as, as a coach, you probably have to have that balance and you have to give a good pulse on your team and how much is too much and how much you can push them. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think they were both good at that. They both knew, uh, you know, what they could do and when their, their message wasn't resonating. I think they were both very self-aware. Phil Jackson, the documentary, he mentioned that, I forget how many years it was, but he mentioned that he had a, he had like a, you know, just a belief that one coach, a voice can only go so far for so many years before it just stops resonating. So even the Phil Jacksons and the Pat Rileys, they're self-aware that there's a shelf life. They can't just coach the same team over and over and over before the message starts growing stale. So self-awareness, I think, plays a big part into how far you can push your players. Um, and I think one of the things that, that separates Riley, I mean, both of them are, you know, are fantastic in their own right. But Riley, I think, is just one of the greatest storytellers uh, from a coaching perspective. I mean, this guy, you know, I was watching a, a documentary about Riley uh, when he said that a big part of his job was to find a story every single day that he could tell his team. Uh, and that was a lot of his, like a lot of the pressure that he felt, he needed to find something relevant to tell the team, whether that be a statistical story, something about the opponent, something even about family, something about himself. It didn't matter as long as there was relevance to the overall goal of winning. Uh, and he felt that was his big part of coaching was to motivate them in some way. So he spent a lot of time trying to come up with the right words. I mean, Ethan, we, you know, this has been famous now, the whole burn the boats, yes. you know, speech, right? Uh, and uh, you see that now as something, there's like Riley, Riley-isms that are everywhere. Uh, you know, Spolster has the things that, that he got from Riley, and then you see it uh, throughout the league. You know, you see LeBron move to Cleveland and he talks <laughs> yeah. about making the main thing, the main thing. I mean, that's that is a Pat's, Riley, that, right? that, That's not just a Riley. That is the Riley quote um, right. of, of all the quotes. I mean, that or there's winning and there's misery. I mean, pretty much the entire book, the winner within yep. is stories. Most of them are not. Uh, and it's funny because when Riley came down here, all of us read that book and he hated that book. Pat <laughs> used to say, why are you reading that effing book? Um, but that book, if you read it, it still is relevant. I mean, it's mostly about his days with the Lakers and motivating Kareem and, and bonding with magic. But if you read that book, he has like these principles in there, like, you know, temporary insanity. Okay. Mm-hmm. And why he went off, you know, to go off. And I remember that that applied when he went off in Detroit, you know, the, the whole thing about him, dunking his head under, you know, the, under the water where the players thought that, you know, I, I always, you know, I shouldn't say as PJ Brown's the one who told me the story at the time, there was always like, who's the leak on this. Uh, but he, <laughs> but Pat, Pat, you know, dunking his head under the water and, and, you know, basically just suffocating himself, uh, you know, because, you know, to show how badly you needed, you, you needed to want it. Yep. Um, you know, all of these things he did. Now, some of the stories will, we're not true. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Pat, you know, sometimes with some of the story that wasn't true, and I've noticed recently when he gives speeches, 
he tends to tell a lot of the same stories a lot that have already been debunked, but it doesn't really matter at this point because they're his stories. He also tells right. this one story every time about how he got lost in the women's bathroom. I'm not sure why he tells that story, <laughs> but, but, he, but he, he tells certain stories over and over and over again, but he does try to relate to particular players. Right. I want to take it here before we close because one of the fascinating things for me is how it would have been for both of them if they'd end up with different players. I, I do think mm-hmm. that there is uh, a perception that the easiest thing to do is to coach great players when actually, if you talk to Eric Spolster, he will tell you it's the hardest thing to do. Yep. 75% of your job is always managing egos, and that was always the issue with the big three and others. It's easier to coach bad teams and try to summon more out of them than it is to summon the best out of the greatest and to prove your worth to them. And I think that's what Spo did to Jimmy Butler this year, where Jimmy, I've talked to people about this, Jimmy tested Spo for a week, basically came out of it and told his agent and other people, he said, yeah, he's the best coach I've played for. I'm going to stop testing him. Um, and so I, I think you have to earn that respect. But let me throw this at you guys. Let's say the players were different. How would Phil Jackson have related to Magic? How would Riley have related to MJ? Would it have been different? Well, no, I mean, that's, that's a tough question. It's a big hypothetical. Uh, are you, so are you saying would LeBron be in the, in the 90s? With well, the well we, we, we could talk about – well, we'll talk about LeBron in a second. But I, yeah. one of the things that's interesting to me is I feel like Riley's style – how would Riley – because Magic is a sunny personality, okay? Uh, Michael is not. <laughs> They're very different at the way. I mean, Magic lifted his teammates, right? Magic's whole thing was – get everybody involved and all that. I'm curious for your thoughts on this too, Alf. Like the Riley-Jordan relationship, like what, what would that have looked like if that had been the greatest star that Pat ever coached? I kind of feel like they butt heads, right? Yeah. Complete alpha males. Yeah. Um, I mean, you saw it happen with Shaq and Riley. I mean, that, that lasted less than a season <laughs> before yeah. they, were, they were about to throw hands on the practice court. Um, so... Uh, when you have those alpha male, I mean, like Dwayne is, has always been a more laid back, uh, do it on the court kind of guy. Magic has always been that sunny personality. So you had the balance there, and he, and with Phil, you had the balance with Phil and Michael. So like I think Phil and Magic, everything would have been too happy go lucky, <laughs> and uh, with with um with uh, Riley and Jordan, it'd be I mean they'd probably probably knock down brawls like in every practice. And and Riley would probably be encouraging it the entire time. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. And he would <laughs> I, love it. I think that's about but right. I think that's about they right. They would never make it to the court. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think you know what I'm getting from this documentary, The Last Dance, um, which is absolutely incredible. And if there's one thing that I want to put out there in the universe is I want a documentary of this production quality and caliber of Pat Riley's entire career, mm-hmm. following the Showtime Lakers, the Knicks, and then the Heat and how we built the organization. Can you imagine the, the footage and the documentary and the stories that would come out of that? I think that would be absolutely incredible. Well, well I, think, I, I, I think it. it would be incredible. I think the unfortunate thing when it comes to that is I think it's only been in recent years that Pat has opened himself up yeah. in that way. Yep. Uh, for years and years and years, it was this fortress. And I think as he's gotten older, pretty much as he'd gotten into his 70s and then the vulnerability when LeBron left – I feel like since then he was different. He allowed, um, I forgot, the terrific writer from ESPN, Wright Thompson, basically spend a season with him. He let schleps like me into his office, discuss his pain of LeBron leaving. Uh, he, he, he became much more open in those ways, whereas 
it was always like nothing gets out of the Heat organization and it starts with Pat. It, now, yeah. it, it still doesn't because Spo has sort of taken that in now, but it's not like it was. I think, I think if you asked Pat, I think if you asked, would you be more open? I mean, he did the sit-down with Levitard. He's done a few sit-downs with Levitard. I think if you asked him now he, if he would be more open to kind of putting his legacy out there, I think he would um, because he's gotten much more sentimental yep. in his older age. But he didn't. So I don't know that the footage would even exist, unfortunately. Yeah, it would be know? something amazing to watch, though. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah. All right, so the last one on, on LeBron, because I've always wondered this. Yeah. Who would have been a better steward for LeBron as a coach? Phil or Pat? Knowing what we know of LeBron as a coach. Because Pat never, Pat never coached LeBron. That's a different relationship yeah. than he had with Dwayne or Patrick or Zoe or Magic or Kareem. He never coached him. Uh, what do you think would have worked better? I believe that that Riley would have worked better for LeBron 100%. I mean, Riley, I mean, LeBron, it was clear when he got to the Heat, one of the reasons he came to the Heat was he was looking for that structure. He was looking for, you know, additional people to be leaders outside of just him. I think, you know, his Cleveland days, he played for a lot of quote unquote players, coaches uh, that let LeBron kind of call the shots. LeBron ran a lot of his own plays and things like that. I think one of the reasons he was attracted to the, to the Heat. Uh, and this was probably coming from Dwayne, was we have a structure here. We have a mentality. And this is also a tribute to Riley. Riley sets, sets a vision like nobody else. You know, just like when he, the story about how he throws the, the bag of championship rings on the desk to, to lure LeBron to the Heat, he branded the Heat. What is the Heat culture? He said he want, wanted the Heat to become the, the hardest working, best conditioned, most professional, unselfish, toughest, nastiest team in the NBA. Like he had that saying. He's like, this is what the Heat culture is. And I think LeBron at that moment of time in his career was looking for that structure because he, he couldn't bring that out of himself. It was all these players, coaches that gave him a lot of room. And, and Phil, again, it's evident by this documentary, Phil was kind of like a player's coach in those, those 90s Bulls days. He gave them a lot of room. He let Jordan do a lot of the leadership. LeBron didn't have those leadership qualities like Jordan did at that phase of his career. So I firmly believe uh, that Riley would have been the better coach for, for LeBron than, than Phil would. And, of course, Phil and LeBron kind of got into it later on, although maybe that wouldn't have happened if he coached it. But Phil's famous posse comment, which didn't go over. Oh, I actually dis- you disagree? I disagree. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just – because um, the one th- – I think I think uh, LeBron and Pat would have lasted like a year. <laughs> for – I mean, like, suppose no pushover, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but at the same time, LeBron was still the biggest – the biggest personality on the team um, and having Dwayne here helped. But what I do think is with LeBron, I think Phil would have worked because Phil would have made it, would have made it sound to LeBron. Like it was his idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah. you can kind of needed to do that with Bron. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You could, you could trick him into thinking playing power forward was nope. LeBron, this was your idea to play power forward. <laughs> but Michael, you know, this is how you, it was your idea for the triangle offense. Like it was, I just think he had more of that, the ability to let LeBron think that he was in charge when he wasn't actually in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat Riley, he was so staunch and so, uh, I mean, just so strict. There, there needed to be certain kinds of players that played under Pat Riley. And the thing is, we talk about the Lakers days. You got to remember, Pat was a young coach. Yeah. 
you know that that was he was not uh he was not as established yet so I'm, I'm not saying he let the lakers get away with murder but he let the lakers get away with a lot more than the knicks did and in turn a lot more than the heat did mm-hmm. so uh, i i think so in 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 that sense uh especially a later pat riley and lebron just like the uh lebron i mean the Shaq and riley thing i just think it's two just two alpha dogs and it's just it's just not going to work out when you look at the Los Angeles days, I mean, Pat was feeling his oats too. I mean, he's acknowledged oh, yeah. that. By the end of For it, sure. he's, he started a – he was as big a celebrity as, as Magic or Kareem. I mean, yep. probably bigger than Kareem at that stage. And, and so – and, you know, a lot of it was about the Forum Club and it was about – I mean, that was, that was a circus in a different way than the Big Three Heat was. I mean, that was, a, that was an L.A.-type circus. New York, to me, was always more Pat's true personality. He is a Schenectady guy. And I always tell this story because he told it actually at an event that Don Shula was supposed to be at, which is unfortunate they weren't there together. But he told the story about how he told the marketing department in New York, they came in with some like, you know, fruity slogan. And he's like, no. And he he drew a picture of chalk outlines and he said, this is what we are. Sell this, you know, and it was basically Oakley and Mason and Ewing and, you know, John Starks. And we're going to put your ass on the court. You know, we're going to we're going to put you on the floor. Uh, and that was more of his personality than the Showtime thing was, which I think he got caught up in. I, I do think some of it would have mattered, I agree, Alf, on when Pat caught LeBron as a player. Yep. Um, but it, I think also, like, you know, when LeBron joined the Heat and Spo was his head coach, I mean, you're still living in Riley culture. Even though Spo yes. was the head coach, that, that whole structure, like Pat built everything around it, even though – Eric was the guy on the sideline. You know, Eric is, is a disciple of Pat Riley. Like all the things he knows is from Pat. So I think you have to give a little bit of credence to that, uh, that, um, you know, like LeBron thrived under that structure. And it doesn't matter if he was on the sideline or if he was, you know, up, up in the seats. It was still Riley very much, you know, into that, into that role. So It was that but structure, know- but I also think it was, it was a playing freedom that yeah. Spo gave him that I yeah. don't know that Pat would have given him. Like, I, like, like Alf, you mentioned the power forward thing, which LeBron didn't like. But LeBron's best basketball of his career, in my view, was done playing power forward for the Miami Heat. If you look mm-hmm. at the metrics, when they put space around him and he could operate in the post and do all those things, that was the best LeBron we've ever seen. Nobody can ever argue with me different on that. And that was, that was a Spo creation. I don't know that Pat would have done that. Pat was so conventional – from a position standpoint, you know, it was what yeah. it was. I mean, I, and whenever, it, whenever he was unconventional, it was the other direction. It was, okay, we've got Anthony Mason, and we're going to put him at the three. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, right. you know, like, like and, and we're going to try to get to the finals with Anthony Mason at the three. And, I mean, they did kind of, right? I mean, you know, I mean, that I, I can't remember. Was, was Mason on the 99 team or not? I can't remember. No, I don't think he was still there. But because that was a Van Gundy team and 94 team. I don't think he was there, but I have to look it up. But yeah, I mean, they'd have to, I mean, they basically always went bigger, whereas SPO teams are more about space. And it's funny because when we had Keith Askins on the pod today, you know, Keith's no longer on the Heat staff. And, you know, one of the things that I think was always kind of a a question there was how much he bought into kind of the new school philosophy of the Heat. And 
Keith had this whole thing. If you listen to the podcast today, he just brings up how, you know, he doesn't really like this new concept of space. (laughs) (laughs) So so some of of that registered a little bit with me. I was like, okay, let's not go too far that direction. Uh, But, but anyway, I I do think it's fascinating, but well, you had, you had another thought? No, I mean, uh, it's still, it's, we don't know how both coaches would have done in today's modern NBA because they're both old school coaches. I mean, we know Phil Jackson later in his career, he struggled to adapt to the changes of the NBA. We didn't yes. see Riley in this whole, uh, you know, new modern NBA where people are chucking up, you know, 23s a game. So we don't really know. We can't compare both. And we know for a fact that Phil couldn't adapt and he phased out of being a head coach because of it. Um, we don't know how Riley would have, would have made out and how he would have transitioned if he would have evolved. I mean, they're both you know, old school guys that are used to a, a certain style of game. And uh, it, it remains to be seen, but it is fascinating to talk about and wonder. Phil did find disciples though. Um, no, not like sure. Pat did in Spo. He found Steve Kerr is kind of a disciple, though it's hard to say whether Kerr is more pop. Hmm. I think that's more pop than uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's more pop than Phil because he, he didn't really run as many of those. I think, well, from a, from a leadership perspective, I think Kerr is more, is more Phil. He's much more laid back. He's much more just, I mean, than Pop. I mean, all three of them are pretty liberal personalities, right? Very progressive people. But Kerr, Kerr, is, Kerr on that is more, I don't know. I mean, Kerr's not gruff with the press like Pop. You know, he's more like Phil in that way. I, I don't know. I, I've, this, I, he's kind of a combination, I guess. This also may be my, my heat homer bias, but I just feel like also Pat Riley has a, has a better – kind of coaching tree that came out from all the, the, the coaches and players that he worked with. You look at Jeff Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, Spo, of course. Then you have former players like Doc Rivers, Mark Jackson, and now Patrick Ewing, who's mm-hmm. coaching Georgetown. It feels like, you know, the like just the people that work under Riley, they transition into coaching a lot better. And I think, you know, that's something you could take away from Riley is how but more the players will though more more yeah. more the players I think because the coaches he's a lot of times they haven't left or they haven't I mean there's been right. Delic left wasn't really thrilled right. Ivoroni was here briefly but there haven't been a ton of those the guy who's actually got the biggest coaching tree is Pop he's got sure. he's yep. he's got Boonholzer he's got uh Borrego right um well Sean Marks was a GM was was assistant GM with San Antonio um, who am I missing? I'm missing some others, right? Uh, he's got, uh, oh, um, uh, top of my head. But he, there, there were four or five guys that, that Pops had. But I, I think with Pat, Pat was, uh, you know, both Pat and Phil were kind of not ostracized by coaches around the rest of the league, but not loved by everybody, but for different reasons. I think yep. jealousy with Phil in some ways. <laughs> and I think with Pat, it's always been, like I said, this – everything in the heat organization, everything with Pat has always been very inside. He's not chummy with a lot of coaches around the NBA. He never has been. I think Spo has a little more of that because a lot of the guys who came up through the video rooms that he knew mm-hmm. way back, mm-hmm. but he doesn't as much, but it's, an, it's a really, really interesting conversation. All right. You've got to check out the podcast lessons via leaders. Again, check it out in all the places uh, that you can find us and you can find, uh, find will as well. And, and, you know, hopefully you can come on again because it was an interesting topic. Definitely. Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the five on the floor on the Fire Regional Sports Network.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.